0: you know, put me anywhere and I'm gonna thrive. Like, I'm gonna find a way to do well. And it's not about the place, you know? The place can have better or worse setups objectively. Like, okay, Tokyo versus Berlin. Well, offhand, I don't speak Japanese, so I probably will get further quicker in Berlin where I can use English, but that doesn't necessarily mean I won't be able to eventually
1: thrive in both places. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, an award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, podcaster, business strategist, and entrepreneur based in Valencia, Spain. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign. Thank you so much for tuning in for this week's episode. So Flourish in the Foreign will be turning three years old in May 2023 And we're also going to be hitting our 100th episode. I cannot believe it, but it's true. So I'm trying to do something special for both of these amazing milestones. I'd like to do an Ask Me Anything episode, answering all of your questions. So if you have a question for me about the podcast, about anything, really, truly. Go to the link in the description of this episode, click on the ask me anything, and leave me a question. Ask me something. You can also ask me a question via Instagram DMs, Twitter DMs, and email replies. This is an opportunity for you to have your voice heard, so if there is a topic you'd like me to cover if there's a person you'd like me to interview, if you have questions about past podcast guests and their story, this is the time. So go ahead and ask me anything in celebration of the 100th episode of Flourish in the Foreign and Flourish in the Foreign turning three years old. As you may or may not know, Flourished in the Foreign is an award winning podcast. It is also a solo indie podcast, which means it is produced, edited, and everything by me, your host, Christine Job. And it is not backed by any corporate entity at all. It is strictly me, Christine Job. So if you love Flourish in the Foreign and you want to see more stories about Black women living and thriving abroad, please consider supporting the podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign and buying me a coffee. You can also support the podcast by following the podcast across all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Flourish in the Foreign or at Flourish Foreign. Another way for you to support the podcast is to share the podcast with all of your friends, your family, on social media, on a vlog, in a blog, or in a newsletter. That would really, really help because that's how we can get more visibility and share these amazing stories with others. And the final way is to be sure that you are subscribed to Flourish in the Foreign on whichever podcasting platform you are currently listening on. So subscribe, make sure that you have rated the podcast five stars, and leave us a review. Let me know what you like about the podcast. It's always wonderful to read your reviews. They always make me a little teary-eyed as well. All right, on to today's episode. Season 4, Episode 6. Today's episode features Umutesi, and Umutesi is a professional psychological counselor with experience offering psychological counseling services internationally. She is very passionate about the decolonization of the mental health field and practices from a multicultural and client-centered theoretical orientation. Umutesi is of Rwandan and Jamaican heritage and was born and raised in the northeastern United States. She currently resides in Berlin, Germany, where she works as a freelancer and offers professional counseling services in English. My conversation with Umutesi was really great. We explored a variety of topics, also honing in on mental health, how to maintain mental health as Black women abroad. But I'll let Umutesi tell you all about it.
0: I am Umutesi Rurenga. I am 27 years old and I'm located in Berlin, Germany. My hometown is Rochester, New York. I was born there. And around age two, we moved to South Orange and Maplewood, New Jersey. So I was mostly raised in South Orange, New Jersey. That's what I would consider my hometown that I went to school in, grew up in, have friends based there. And my family is still based there right now. My father is from Rwanda originally, and my mother is from Jamaica. And they met in the U.S. in New England, Massachusetts kind of area. I actually recently thought about one kind of hobby that me and my dad had, as well as my sister, which is going to bookstores and the CD section. Do you remember Borders? And I mean, Barnes & Noble still exists, but Borders unfortunately is no more. (laughs) So we would go there, and the world music section was, I think, and still is my dad's favorite section. And We also listened to tons of Jamaican and Rwandan music, and we had a lot of our own heritage in the home. But my dad was always open to just, yeah, just going to that section and seeing what's there and just picking a new CD every week and just listening to it. And we would make fun of him because he would get the same CDs over and over and they just pile up in the car. And it's like, you really like this music, don't you? So, yeah, I think I just learned from then that you are not restricted to a certain section just because of where you come from right like you can just find something new and really like it and explore and i really recently thought about this seed planted a friend of mine was saying when you play your playlist like it's never in english like there's always something and i'm asking what's the language so i think it's because of that and yeah with my mom as well trying new recipes we love to cook together that is definitely one of her art mediums among other things but with that there were never extreme boundaries in the kitchen either of we can't cook that because we're Jamaican or Rwandan or whatever so yeah I really fondly look back at my childhood in that way because I think it taught me from a young age that it's OK to explore and just indulge in whatever the world has to offer. So I went to Rutgers University in New Brunswick for undergraduate. I started out studying the pre-med track and to major in biology. However, in my second year, I began to get interested in neuroscience and I wanted something that balanced the science part with actually engaging with people right so i was in a lab at the time that was a neuroscience lab and i really was learning a lot having a great time however i noticed a lot of my time was spent with you know the cell cultures or pipetting things or preparing a lot of just like physical tangible parts of the experiments and not as much time engaging with people who might benefit from the research. So the research was regarding diagnoses of schizophrenia and also autism, so I thought, well, I want to actually work with people who have these diagnoses and see what that looks like. So I switched from biology to cognitive neuroscience, which was a new major that was offered at Rutgers at the time. It really felt like perfect timing when I entered junior year because I could mix the classes I took from the bio side and then start taking cognition, psychology, um, language, all these kinds of courses. So junior year, that happened. And then the last semester of junior year, I was able to study abroad. So I would say the third year, a lot of things changed and opportunities came my way that really influenced the rest of the trajectory.
1: I asked Uma Tessie if she had the opportunity to study abroad while in university. And if so, what was her experience like? So I studied abroad in Seoul,
0: South Korea, and I had the time of my life. I had such a great time. It was my first time being in South Korea and my first time studying abroad. So a lot of firsts and Luckily, I could do it with a very good friend of mine who was actually originally set to do that study abroad course, and we were chilling in my my dorm one night, looking at videos of the campus that she would be on, and we just said, wouldn't it be cool if we both were there? Wouldn't it be cool if you came along? And I was thinking, it's too late to apply, and the visa, and everything, and then it was a funny idea that actually just came true and we just closed the YouTube thing and started emailing people and she had a great relationship with the advisor at the time who was organizing the visas and everything and so he helped me immensely to get that ball rolling and I really applied and got in so last, last minute. Yeah. So then we went and it worked out and it became true that we were walking on the campus and, and having a good time. So. In terms of the first impressions, I definitely felt that I was sticking out a lot physically, which is true, especially at the time. This was 2016. So there was still some international business, of course, and you know, the US has the military there, so that exposure was somewhat there. But I did feel out of my comfort zone. I was sticking out, not used to people maybe initiating conversation with me solely on the fact that I look different, might be from another country, and also might speak English. So a lot of people there are eager to speak English and get to know why people are coming to South Korea. Academically, I would say it was quite comfortable and also manageable. I took three courses there, and two of them were courses I would have anyway taken in the U.S., and it was kind of just an equivalence-based system. You get the credits, you take the course that's most similar, and those two courses were in English. As for the third course, it was a Korean language course, and so that course was fully in Korean. I had an interest in Korean writing, alphabet, and language vaguely before I went to South Korea, and so, When I touched down, I knew how to write, read, and basic, basic grammar. This is just from being in high school and loving languages. So I had a little advantage there. We took the placement test, and then we had that course every day from 8 to noon. So that was the most rigorous course I took there, just because it was all in Korean. The teacher would not allow English. It's early in the morning, you go, you do it, get out out of the way, and then you have your, your day to spend. I quickly fell in love with Seoul. It's extremely fun, very convenient. You can get anything you need within a certain radius, whether it's a taxi, food, water, anything. You can go to karaoke. So it's kind of this energy that I feel is very lively but also very 24 7 if that makes sense kind of things can be on call you can order what you need you can walk where you might need to go but also the public transportation was incredibly comfortable and safe from what i felt so it was really a great city to test the waters a little bit in terms of traveling abroad living abroad
1: I asked Umitesi what she did after she returned from South Korea and graduated from university. My main focus after
0: graduating from Rutgers was kind of academically what, what I would do next. I knew that I had a degree that was quite flexible, meaning I could either go to the neuro side and apply for labs or apply for a more neuro-focused PhD or something like that, or I could also go into the mental health field and become a counselor. That was something I definitely had as one of my potential goals at the time. And my father is a mental health counselor in New Jersey, so I've also grown up kind of seeing his career develop and having that as a big inspiration, but not a pressure, so I was never told to follow a certain path or career with that being said I just applied to like 10 grad school programs some of them being PhDs some of them being masters and only two of them being in New Jersey at that time so I wanted to go straight into grad school basically after the bachelor's I was a little worried about what would happen if I took a break so I applied saw where worked and where didn't And I ended up going to Seton Hall University, which is actually in South Orange, New Jersey, in my hometown. And so I was familiar with the campus and the school, and it's a professional counseling master's program. And when I had the interviews with the department, I just had the most amazing experience. So I judged my next step out of the schools I could go to on those interviews. How did I feel when I walked in the department? Who did I meet? How did I feel after, after meeting them? So I had a really wonderful impression there and I chose that path. So the next two and a half, give or take years, I was living with my family at home
1: and then commuting thankfully by foot to campus. Umutesi's journey to Berlin was not a linear path. At all. And so I asked her to share with us her moving abroad journey. I would say that by
0: applying to some grad school programs that were, a few I think were in Canada. And so that to me was the beginning of, oh, if I actually got in here, I would have to maybe make a decision of, oh, I, I could move abroad, it could become possible. However, at that stage, I still wasn't really seeking a life abroad. And even in that abroad application, it was Canada, which I I have family in both Montreal and Toronto. So it felt very familiar still and language barrier wouldn't be an issue. And I would ultimately be in grad school there rather than working and living there. So the switch definitely happened while I was studying the master's and kind of tapping back into my time spent in Seoul and my love of traveling. And so through the summer times during the Masters, I did make some trips to Europe and explore a little bit there. Also, from a young age, I'm used to traveling to see family either in Rwanda or Jamaica. So I always had that comfort with long trips and, and you know, the energy it takes to travel. It's just that during the masters during those summers especially i started to really think oh i'm visiting this friend in italy but what would it be like to maybe live here what are the differences between you know rome and milano for example what, what's kind of going on here in this part of the world and i would say to friends of mine who were working as au pairs in my hometown i met them at seton hall on campus through a program called iBuddy. buddy So they would pair a domestic student with an international student, and you're kind of buddies. And so my first buddy was a woman from Poland, and we are, to this day, like BFFs. We just clicked so instantly when we met each other after being paired. And then she had a friend who is a woman from Italy who we kind of became a, a three, and I was living at home. It's my hometown. So I really jumped into that role of kind of mentor and showing what the town's about, helping out where I could. And we just hung out very often since we're all living there. And so through visiting them also in their hometowns later on in Poland and Italy, that's kind of one of the big events that made me start to consider maybe a city in Europe for working there or studying further there just to see how it kind of felt. After finishing the master's in 2020, so we didn't get to walk because of the Covenantian pandemic. And that was another factor that also really made me think a little bit more seriously about travel and living abroad because You know, for all of us, it was that moment where you can't go somewhere or you can't leave somewhere, right? And you were kind of stuck where you were. And from March when it began, I had vaguely entertained different abroad possibilities for after graduation, but I really started researching them more intensely after the pandemic began. And so I knew that Berlin, perhaps London, Amsterdam. I had kind of a, a Google document of just a bunch of cities that interested me and then a whole list of all the counseling-related, English counseling-related places or opportunities there. So I would go on Google Maps, go to the region that I was interested in, and then just search. You know, if you search, like, coffee shop, it'll show you all the hits that it, that is in that region. So I was searching for English counseling and seeing in these cities that might have a lot of English-speaking non-natives to that place if they had a place to go, basically, for a mental health counseling. And so I compiled my list and really started to work out the details a little more rigorously. I would say December 2020, around that time, we were hearing news here and there of oh maybe there's a vaccine ready by Jan or Feb maybe right we weren't sure and so I had a job offer from an English counseling center in Tokyo Japan actually so basically my plan after graduation was yes I'm working from home I'm saving up money I had these options and I was looking for centers or places of work that were the most comprehensive to apply to as well, kind of who's willing to work with me. A lot of the emails I sent out, it was a place that's kind of privately owned or they're an NGO or they only have capacity for really just three psychologists or counselors and they can't really hire me, right? So that was a big hurdle is this may be a great city, but if i can't gain employment formally then i can't get a visa right so that was a big block for me but with the center in tokyo it was very straightforward they were able to hire they were always hiring had a big team good reviews so i got a job offer i accepted it i signed the contract everything in like in fall winter 2020 i was going to move to japan like 2021 was my big move so my family was also mentally preparing for that being so far away and i think at the time when that was the forecasted plan they were of course very sad that i would go but it was kind of not not news to them they're like well tessie was you know in korea and just it's it's something they could at least draw on what helped them right phone calls sending care packages, keeping in contact, sharing photos. So those things really helped. I didn't really receive a lot of like discouragement and discouraging reactions from people. Friends were very excited. Mostly people saying, wow, that's really adventurous. Wow, that's really far out there. Or that's really cool. Or how did you find that place? How did you make it work? And so when I was waiting on kind of the visa stuff to go through. That was around the time when the Olympics were still being, potentially going to be held in Tokyo. And so there was a cap every day on how many internationals could enter the country. And most of that cap, of course, was used for mandatory business or athletes. So a lot of the process that I was waiting on was extremely delayed. So I waited some more months and I had to really make a decision on, this may take even six months. We don't know what the government of Japan is going to do regarding the Olympics and people waiting to enter the country. So I had to really make a call. And I was getting tired of waiting. So I had my vaccine, I had my plan, I was saving up and kind of tying loose ends in for my life in New Jersey. And there was this block of I don't know if I'll be able to go to Japan so eventually I switched my plan because my hope was to do a year contract in Tokyo then start my hope to move to Berlin right so I knew I wanted a year in a country that's maybe further more maybe different from New Jersey somewhere that's a little bit more challenging culturally or linguistically, right? So then I decided to go for about six to eight months to Rwanda, to Kigali, Rwanda. So I decided to go home, actually. So that was another big pivot point. And I know it's interesting now that you kind of ask about these, like, series of events that led to some decision. This one was also very similar to the one when I was joking with my friend to go to Korea, because I was with my dad, and we were just on the patio, like, uh, you know, I was thinking, what do I do, you know, this Japan thing? And I just got this feeling like, you know what, I'm not going to wait on this. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to find a place to do this work there, because I want to be a mental health professional abroad. That's kind of my driving goal. And I said, you know, I'm going to go to Kigali. I'm going to go to Rwanda. And my dad said, that sounds great. And so again, it was kind of something where it's a thought you put out there with some friend or family and you're just like i'm gonna do it and so that i think is a similarity to how i decided to go to seoul
1: as well and i'm just realizing that now it's very interesting so Umutesi decides to cancel her original plan to move to tokyo and decides to go to kigali rwanda instead and so i asked Umutesi. How did she get set up to work in Kigali? So
0: there was a counseling center as well in Kigali that has a team that is partially internationals, partially local Rwandans who are all clinicians working in mental health. And I had, it was again on my Google Doc. It was on the list. So I kind of pulled it up and I think I had a, like a, chat on Zoom with them. It wasn't a formal interview, but they knew who I was from before. So it was easier for me to reconnect. And they said, hey, you can come. You work as a independent contractor. So that center, it doesn't directly hire the counselors. It's kind of like you're an independent contractor. So that worked even better. I don't yet have my Rwandan or East African passport. So it's something that you kind of don't put it off after COVID. I learned that don't put it off, but I was able to go. I stayed with an aunt of mine and I worked for about six to seven months there. And the original idea was you can come try for three months, see how it is. And we just go from there. So I applied for a work permit and that process was very smooth. And so that's kind of how I, switched my plan a bit from Tokyo to Kigali, worked there. And then when the borders opened for U.S. to EU, I could then do my Berlin plan, which had always been already extremely um, prepared for because of all that time and lockdown just kind of there. So I knew what I would have to do. And then late September
1: 2021 is when I made the move. The concept of mental health and it being widely discussed is relatively new. And in some cultures, it is still quite foreign. And so I asked Umutesi, how is mental health viewed in Rwanda? Before going there for work, right, and also for my field,
0: I kind of left it up to the my main Colleagues/slash mentors, they really felt like mentors to me, and it was a very wonderful experience. So, I was feeling out the climate myself, but also hearing a lot from them of what's going on there on the ground, and then I could be there and participate. So, I would say that socially, people are quite open to it compared to other cities or cultural environments I've been in previously. So, in my own family, my immediate family, right, in New Jersey, it's always been open. I'm used to that because my dad is a counselor, mom is used to that. So these discussions have always kind of been going around mental health. However, in in Kigali, my extended family there, some family members would be curious or confused on what goes on in the sessions, right? Like, what do you say? What, What do they say? What happens? How does it change or carry on but in general a lot of people especially millennial or zennial age people are very open to going to counseling and through that especially in Kigali the younger generation then influences maybe what their parents are open to do or not do so because their working adult kid is going then oh what's that about let me try and go so clients were varied in age, adolescents, young adults, people who were closer to retirement and just really wanted to do this for themselves. So definitely a huge need and really a growing kind of provider base as well, which is great. That center, we always were working with universities. We were always working with other orgs who we were always kind of organizing something and bringing awareness. So that was a lot of the work as well, doing online workshops and this kind of thing, especially during some of the heavier lockdowns that summer, especially July 2021 in Kigali was a very strong lockdown. So lots of online and in-person work when we could. So yeah, the climate was very, very dynamic, I would say. And also, regarding culture and history, of of course, in Rwanda, due to the the, the genocide that happened in ninety four, this is something that has largely impacted, of course, the collective trauma as well, in in our cities or towns or just the country in general. So, I think that understanding of what trauma is and how it can affect your day to day is prevalent. Like that understanding is quite prevalent for most people. The biggest barrier I felt after working there is access. So that center is wonderful, well-connected, you know, got a big team, but still, as we know, it's still a lot, a lot, a lot of people can't access mental health care, whether the blocker is money or insurance issues or language or class. There's so many barriers still. Um, but compared to other cultures or cities I've been exposed to, there's a lot more momentum in Kigali, I think, which is such a blessing, I think.
1: So Umutesi had this incredible experience in Rwanda. And as you all know, from the beginning of this episode, she is currently based in Berlin. And so I asked her, why she chose Berlin. I visited Berlin once in 2018 and once in 2019,
0: but both of those were layovers um, that were less than a day and just very, you know, haphazard, setting alarms to make sure you wake up for really early flights. It was a lot, it was kind of rushed, but neither of those trips were meant to see how I feel in the city. They were just layovers. I explored a bit, had curry versed, and that was the extent of it. So The biggest factor that drew me to Berlin is that there is a freelance visa that is offered. So when you go to the website for Berlin, the city, the visas, working address, all that stuff, you have all of the different visa options laid out in detail. And so the freelance self-employed visa, how to apply was straightforward on the website. You can apply in English. I had heard from many people that you can also really get by mostly in English in the city. I have studied here and there German, and now I'm studying it more thoroughly. But I really was looking for a city where if I can't speak that language, I can still work and thrive and exist. So these two factors were the biggest for me. All the other factors kind of came after as surprise bonuses like it's quite affordable compared to other cities especially now like London you know the housing cost of living crisis is getting worse Paris so I just looked at all these kind of hub cities that I like and did the more logistical thing right I don't speak French fluently Paris, mm, I don't know, cost. mm, So it kind of lost attractiveness for that reason. Yeah, so those are really the things that led me to Berlin. And so I knew what I would need to apply. And also I had all the documents, or I could get all the documents that were necessary there. Another huge factor is that in Germany, working as a psychotherapist is regulated by the government. However, working as a counselor, like a psychological counselor, which is my title here on my visa, is not regulated. So what they require is you need a degree from your home country and a license from your home country. So I basically maintain my U.S. license for counseling, do my continuing education, and then I just presented my master's and bachelor's degrees here. And so this factor also was huge for me because I could legally do the profession I studied to do without having to maybe take a test in another language or do a lot of you know these certificates sometimes these weird things in other countries you have to apply and then to prove the equivalency of something I ended up having to do that anyway in Germany for some other stuff but I thought I can avoid the majority of I don't have to study all over again if I go there so yeah those those things really stood out and made it really just perfect for me for my current career goals.
1: If you enjoy Flourish in the Foreign and you are interested in possibly becoming a digital nomad, then I have the podcast for you. The Maverick Show, hosted by Matt Bowles, who is an amazing, amazing real estate investor, Podcaster and overall just really great person. To be honest, Matt has been in the podcasting game, digital nomad space, location dependent space way before it was buzzworthy, trendy, or anything like that. So, if you're interested in hearing more stories from long-term digital nomads who globe trot on their own terms or learning about how real estate investment can fund your life abroad, go check out the Maverick Show podcast and check out Matt and his company and how he helps people to identify real estate opportunities to fund their location-independent lifestyle. All of this information is in the description of this episode. And of course, you can learn more about Matt and his real estate services at the Maverick Show I asked Umitesi to walk us through her journey of moving to Berlin.
0: I feel like it really started technically a bit in July 2021 in Kigali, funny enough, because I had already began emailing for flats and finding temporary spaces and just really seeing what had to line up in what way, right? So contacting, like I have an uncle who lives in Germany, just, you know, family trying to get those connections going. And I was doing Zoom, you know, apartment tours with people in Berlin and explaining to them, oh, I'm in Kigali right now, but I'm coming. And they were just like, where are you? And like, the background is like sunny and palm trees and they're like, ah. So, and it's the same time zone as well. So that helped a lot. So when I landed in Berlin in mid-late September, I didn't have to adjust time-wise. My body was adjusted to the time zone. Weather, though, was rough. I got sick multiple times when I got to Berlin because I came in the fall. But yeah, I think that through connections of a few cousins of mine who live here in Berlin, I got on some email listers that are talking about flats or rooms for sublet and kind of tried to tap into what a local Berliner would recommend me to use rather than going on to the most busy apartment site. I still did that because, you know, I have to put my myself out there. But the first temporary spot that I had for about two and a half months in Berlin was through the email listerv. And so, yeah, my first roommate, it was just me and her. So I arrived, got to the flat, got to know the area. She showed me where's the local food and local COVID test center. So the first months were very cozy. I I reflect on them um, positively. And also when I was in Kigali, I had already secured an appointment to apply for the visa. So what you need to do for Berlin is go on the online portal and book an appointment to then bring all your documents and formally apply. So I booked that, I booked an interpreter to come with me. And so I had that set. All I had to really do was wait for that date and explore the city and that's what I did. I just was on Facebook groups, reaching out, meeting new people, getting to know the area and so yeah, I think the rest of September, October, November were quite smooth in terms of living and getting used to the city. However, the first visa appointment, unfortunately, I had to schedule another one because then I went, I had scheduled myself in the wrong wing. So the immigration office in Berlin has different wings for different regions of the world. And their portal had messed up and kind of didn't refresh right and put me in the wing that's not for US citizens and so I got very lucky because I went to the appointment and they said hey you've got all your stuff but you're in the wrong wing and your appointment time's almost over so my interpreter who's Another amazing, amazing woman, amazing person who is actually American from Maryland, but has been in Berlin for a very long time, speaks German fluently, helped me. So we really asked, could you please reschedule us again just now since we're here anyway? And they're like, I'm so sorry. You're going to have to go back to the kind of walk-in part of the building where you just have to wait in a long line to just get a walk-in. And we asked a guard, like, listen, this is our situation. I don't want to cut people, but we really... Because she also had to go to the next appointment for the next interpreting thing. And that guard just happened to be nice, said, well, you can go ahead. Then the lady rescheduling me refreshed one more time and got one for November. So she was like, you're lucky, because sometimes for that wing, you could wait till Jan. And I was like, I came here in September and I might have to wait till Jan, so... That was just a lot of luck and very helpful people along the way. So I went again in November, and then there was one document I still needed that was what I told you earlier about. It's a document that proves the equivalency, basically, that what you studied in the U.S. would hypothetically be similar to what you would study in Germany for the master's and bachelor's. And so that document was extremely expensive. I had never heard of it. All in German. I ended up getting it and it worked out. However, from November, I was given a temporary kind of residence thing that wasn't a visa. It was this like paper thing that allowed me to travel within the EU, but I couldn't work yet. So it was like a pending thing until I got that document, which took, of course, two to three months to get. So it was a lot of um, pending
1: time. Language is so important. It really can make and break your experience abroad. So I asked Umutesi to share with us her experiences with language, which languages she speaks, and how she acquired them. I
0: grew up more so interacting with and hearing Jamaican Patois, so I can understand and speak Jamaican Patois. I remember being a kid and feeling like I couldn't tell the difference, really, between Jamaican Patois and English. So when non-Jamaican friends came over, I'd be like, what's your grandma saying? And I'm like, what do you mean she's speaking? Like, I, I couldn't understand why others didn't get what, you know, my family was saying. But for the most part, I was raised speaking American English with my mom, with my dad. And so it was only at these bigger family gatherings with my Jamaican side coming either from Florida, like grandma and and such, or grandpa in Toronto, that I really heard and engaged with Jamaican patois. And as for Kinyarwanda, I didn't hear it so much or wasn't taught it formally growing up. However, from a young age I started to look online and get books and I really dove more into the literature and the grammar kind of side of it as well as music and, and dance. So, right now I would say from those early introductions to the different languages, I I think my Kinyarwanda is better listening than actually speaking. I can speak if I'm pushed, but I wouldn't call myself fluent after living there last year, I got much better at understanding. And I feel my Kenyarwanda is very similar to where my German is now. So with German, if I'm out, I can understand most of what people are saying, or if someone asks me something on the bus, I can get what they mean, but there's kind of a limit and my speaking doesn't feel strong. So for those two, I wouldn't say fluency. For Korean though, That's the only other language other than American English that I would say I'm fluent. And I would say most of that is because of the immersion class there in Seoul, because we would have to understand the teacher and we have to speak every day for four hours. Then we're leaving class and going into Seoul. So we also have to speak to make friends, to buy things, to go to the bank, all these things. So after leaving Seoul, I also really kept in touch with those friends. And here in Berlin, I've met a lot of friends who are from Seoul and other South Korean cities. And yeah, some of my friendships here are fully in Korean. For example, we just, you know, look at restaurants, go to different places, and I'm able to have that other language access too, which is really, really such a gift that keeps giving, I've found. So I hope the same happens for German here. I hope I have that immersion point where I really do the speaking part and the same for Wanda. but I just like to study here and there. I use Babel, I use Duolingo, you know, these, these things and just kind of try my best to fit it into my day. And it's never been stressful for me in terms of tips. I think the best tip is to make it as social as possible because Any language that I feel more able to just speak, like just naturally say something, those are languages I've been social around, whether that's hearing people talk in it or having the pressure to speak rather than the languages I'm writing in or reading. Like that side doesn't really stick as much. For example, I recently had a a fun experience on the bus like even yesterday i think it was and i was sitting and there's a lady standing kind of behind me and i have some very extravagant nails right now i don't know if you can see they're extremely like (laughs) just a lot so i was holding my bag and she was just like i could feel someone hovering and i was like what's going on and then she said in german like can i please take a photo your nails are so nice and and Most of the conversation I could get along with when she was asking how much it costs, how long it lasts. But she did use a word that means like the nails growing out. You know what I mean? Like from the the root when it starts to grow out. And so I think I'll remember that word like forever because it's tied to, you know, an actual social connection. So that's my biggest tip is just the words that actually stay with me or the grammar or whatever. It's because I'm it's linked to just connecting with people. And that's the point of language anyway. So I think that's how we should ideally learn rather than hold up in our room and just like stressing over some vocabulary, right?
1: Living abroad is not all roses. <laughs> it really isn't. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that. And so I asked Tesi to share with us some of her hardest moments abroad? I would say,
0: I think the hardest moments have been, and I say moments, meaning whenever it got really difficult, whether that was Kigali or here in Berlin, it's always when I feel less connected to the people I'm having my day-to-day with, right? Like in Kigali, there was a lot of the focus of my time there was heavily family-oriented and the culture is very collective. So, you know, if there's a birthday party or a dinner or something, I ha- I'm i obliged to go there and to really take in that family time, which was amazing and really precious, however very different from the way family time is done in individualist kind of cultures. So, you know, in the U.S., you got your family time, it's done, then you go to your room and you can shut your door, you know? So it was very new. And any time where there was some disagreement between a family member on what's a social norm or not, whether that's clothing or hair or even work, food, behaviors, that's kind of always been a difficult point for me. So in Berlin, that could look like I'm not understanding German habits or German culture or behaviors. So it was anything that made me feel less connected to the people I was around. But the legal stuff or the work stuff or the visa or the like the tangible hurdles, they really were difficult. And I had my days that were it was it was frustrating, of course, but they never stuck out as much to me as the moments when I was, you know, worried that I disappointed a family member by something I said or how I think or feeling like I didn't fit in you know so that is kind of more what I sense as a a struggle point for me one really funny example that maybe you can also relate to is that I have those white Air Force One shoes like the sneakers and I would wear those like most of my time going to work in Kigali. And Kigali is extremely hilly. It's a very beautiful, like hilly city. So I will wear those going to work. And the, the dirt road has like red, this like red color. If you're on the dirt road and my sneakers would get, of course, dirty. And so like in Jersey, that's kind of cool. It's like they get a little rugged. They get a little crunched and like beat up a little bit for those white Air Force specifically. But it is such a Rwandan no-no to have dirty shoes it's just so not the thing. And so people would always be offering like, I can polish them for you and I can clean them and oh, the dirt's messing them up. And I just couldn't get it. I couldn't really sense why that was something that could create distance, right? Because for me, that's how I felt that it was creating distance between me and those people, because they couldn't understand why I was just okay with that. And these are the kind of little moments that that, that's kind of what would get me down every so often, as opposed to I waited four hours in the bank line. Like, it's annoying, but I just put in my headphones
1: and do my thing and it will be fine. <laughs> yeah. I asked Umutesi to reflect on her experience as a Black, American, Rwandan, Jamaican woman abroad. I feel really
0: lucky in the sense that I I feel that with anything, I pull from different parts of the diaspora. So I pull from Afro-Caribbean, from my Jamaican, I pull from East African, from Rwanda, and then I also pull from Black American, like African American culture and heritage. So it's kind of like I have these three, it's like a wealth of, of course, culture and knowledge and, and kind of direction for me. So whenever I'm faced with a challenge or hatred or racism or something kind of attacking my blackness, I try to go back to one of those three or pull from different ones. So one that definitely stands out more in Berlin is, I don't know what it is about Germany, but I have never seen more white people with dreadlocks or locks in my life. And I'm just... I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. And so for me regardless of of course the the racial or political things behind a white person having locks, for me what stands out more than that is the consistency or that choice being so popular and and so prevalent. So I see the differences in how people are regarded, right? having locks and the grace that maybe i'm not given right because i'm working here i'm a professional i've done certain things in my life that people might not assume when they look at me because of my locks my skin my everything right so when i kind of am faced with those things i really do have to go back immediately and somehow tap into one of those kind of sources within myself for my identity. And that could look like, I go home, maybe you're frustrated, maybe you cry it out, maybe you journal, maybe you do some kind of self-care, or I just cook a dish that I ate often when I was in Kigali, or I make some curry chicken, or just something that brings me back to that and is also nourishing. Or I could just hang out with a friend who is also Black and really gets it in that sense. So for me, it's less about where I might have to see or experience racism and more, how do I recover? Of course, it doesn't mean I don't want to live in the most racist place where I'm being aggressed every day. That's definitely not ideal. But I know that Berlin is not a place where I am aggressed racially on a daily basis. And most of the aggression is a little bit sneaky. It's kind of just, you know, not sitting next to you on the bus or stairs or immediately assuming that I'm not German. I could be AfroDeutsch, like people don't know, but they that assumption of how long have you been here, where are you from, right? The lack of curiosity. So I would say I can deal in a place where I'm not and I'm definitely not fearing for violence, right? And also not only really being microaggressed or aggressed on. And then I have the resources to then recover and heal and just
1: stay grounded. It's that time, y'all. You know it. Y'all's favorite nosy question that I have to ask all the guests. So I asked Umutesi to share with us her experience dating abroad.
0: And I must say, I'm probably one of those people who was requesting all these these questions in the dating one and the dating episode. I have listened to it, well, both of them. Yeah, like it just is just very helpful to also reflect on my own experiences. So, I would say in Seoul in South Korea, definitely you deal with the obvious, you look super different. Not many people here look like you and therefore really having to be a bit more mindful of why you're going on certain dates and maybe why they are. What what are your expectations? So I would say what stood out to me in Seoul was just expectations on both ends. In terms of just dating, I could date more comfortably because of the language as well and that definitely helped me also hear more what the expectations were on their side. I would say most of the people I went on dates with there had some experience outside of South Korea. They may have been affiliated with the military. They may have been, you know, had heritage also that is not Korean. So they kind of already had that exposure a little bit. But yeah, I mean... I remember being with that friend that I went with and we were just standing, looking at some shops and this car just pulls up full of uh, men and they're just like, beautiful, like they scream beautiful out of the window and just drive off. And like, it was just like, there's a lot of like, just (laughs) these happenings that again, they happen because of course we are beautiful, but then you also stick out so much that, these cars will just, you know, be pulling over and just, hey, you know. So just, again, like I said before, even with English, people just want to talk to you more. So depending on your expectations and goals for dating, you probably won't have a dull moment in a city like Seoul. But you have to do a lot more filtering, if that makes sense, as to what the person actually wants, right? In Kigali, it was way easier, first of all, just with, like, I physically fit in a lot. Not only am I, you know, Rwandan as well, but I look a lot like my dad's side and there's a certain Rwandan look and I have it a lot. So people would never question that I'm not only, of course, a black woman, but also that I'm from that specific city or country, right? So I think in Kigali, I didn't date as much just because also the family aspect So, if I did go on dates often there, everyone would know, you know, Kigali is also very small, so, so so-and-so knows, so-and-so knows, so-and-so, and and, oh, I saw Tessie over there, and I saw... So, it was a little bit like the focus was more me within the family unit and my role there, rather than me building my own social network separate in Kigali. That wasn't really my goal. And it has its own challenges for sure. So the challenge there is definitely just people knowing, people talking, and how small it is. I would worry sometimes with my clients, like, what if the client is the sibling of the person I'm on the date with? Like, it just, all these things could, you know, like mix together and make it difficult, but not impossible. You just have to capitalize on your unique position in every different place. So I would have different opportunities compared to, I don't know, someone who's Asian American coming from Texas going to Kigali. They're going to have a totally different reality for dating, right? Mm-hmm. And in Berlin, it's also been good. I I feel good about the city being big enough to meet new people and make new connections, but also not sprawling. I, I mean, I've started to kind of run into people I know at certain places or say, hey, or feel that town feeling also. And there is this funny saying here that's like Berlin is a town. Like everyone eventually says that less about the size, but more just the feeling like you probably will see someone you recognize or know if you go to certain places on a Friday night, a Saturday night, but it's not so much that I can't also go on a, like a blind date with someone that I actually have no connections to socially. So in in Berlin and in Germany in general, I feel that it is not as in your face in terms of pure interest. You know, no one's driving over going beautiful or something like that. You know, not every German man, but most German men or people tend to just be a little more reserved not just shouting it out I will say in Italy in different cities it was a lot and I was just like okay this is maybe too too overwhelming for me but yeah in, in Germany it's it's been really good experiences for me personally and I would say also there's a stereotype from the kind of party techno scene of Berlin that People are quite flaky or not looking for something long-term or serious, but Berlin has a lot of different pockets. That's what I've really learned is that it has what it's known for, but there's also people here who are working like in the embassy world, right? There's all the embassies are here. There's the PhD and grad school people. There's the IT. There's the crypto world. There's the, there's just so many pockets. So you can't really say all of Berlin is this way for dating, and the vast majority of my clients for example are either in a partnership or entering a new one leaving a long term one married partnered whatever you know so the impression i get is also heavily painted by them because that's kind of the pool that i'm pulling from about what is it like in berlin so yeah i think it's been very positive and not too in my face as the the other cities
1: soft life Specifically, black girl, soft life. I asked Umitesi to reflect on this concept. For me, soft life is really, like,
0: kind of focused on choice. Like, if I'm working right now, and I have to, I'm employed, and it's it's not a choice, of course, you got to accept that, you got to do what you got to do. But once it's over... any free time you have, whether that's five minutes a day for some people or like five hours a day, then what you do in that time being centered around choice for me is soft life. So for example, what is not soft life to me is you've got three hours free, someone asks you a favor, you don't have a capacity, but you say yes anyway. And you don't feel like you could say no, because to me, that's not a choice if you don't see another option you just have to say yes and then you're out here doing things and you're exhausting yourself to me that's not soft life so it doesn't necessarily mean not doing things that involve work it's just the choice aspect for your free time you know like outside of work that choice aspect like just checking in of why i'm doing what i'm doing right now and if i have options basically and if i'm taking them because before I started thinking about it this way, I would find myself like, why are you cleaning your room again? Like, why are you doing this thing that you actually think is a choice, but you're actually maybe just compelled so much to do it? And you're just going and going. And it's so important for us also in the, in the African diaspora to understand that, unfortunately, our bodies are seen as your your worth is to work your worth is to give constantly especially for women and non-men like that's just the programming is that you're not supposed to be idle you're not supposed to choose if you want to work or not you're just supposed to go 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 and i see this also in the like matriarchal parts of the family just we all have that auntie or grandma who's just always going and it's like well I wonder if if she's choosing that, or I wonder if she's literally compelled to just go because she knows no other way. So for me, that's how I view soft life, just sometimes thinking, I don't really have anything I need to do at the moment. And so for 10 or 15 minutes, I'm just going to, I don't know, zone out or lay down or sit or just kind of be. So that's what I started
1: incorporating into my life. I thought it would be beneficial for all of you, and for me too, to ask a trained counselor, how do we go about building community and finding belonging abroad? Belonging and community are things I am trying to also start
0: writing about. I really love writing, but the time is not always there, as you know. So just as a topic, like how to build belonging and community. And I would say... A big inspiration is something my grandpa my Jamaican side has recently shared with me. I recently visited home in Jersey and he came down from Toronto. So he was kind of saying his ethos also has always been, you know, put me anywhere and I'm going to thrive. Like, I'm going to find a way to do well. And it's not about the place, you know, the place can have better or worse setups objectively. Like, okay, Tokyo versus Berlin, well, offhand. I don't speak Japanese, so I probably will get further quicker in Berlin where I can use English. But that doesn't necessarily mean I won't be able to eventually thrive in both places. So what he's kind of taught me is just that confidence and sureness in yourself that community is less about where are people that look like me or or are like me, but rather like the experience or how you actually live your life that should be something you can connect on. So for me, I also try to acknowledge the luck side. A lot of the early friendships I built here from when I wasn't able to work yet, they are going strong and they're such a core part of how I feel belonging here and those people come from, you know, some of them are very similar to me to be honest. Some of them are also black, some of them are also women, some of them are from the continent, others are, you know, just somehow something in common but i find that if you kind of follow where your intuition kind of says yes this is a good connection or this is working or this is good you will just find that community right if i think to every connection that's a colleague or a friend or anything like that it's a mixture of putting yourself out there even if it's awkward consistency in your habits of you know you're at that meetup at least twice in the month right it doesn't have to be every week but you're you're putting yourself there and the third part is just following where your intuition goes because they're also flops of course sometimes I would go on like friend dates you know from Bumble BFF or Facebook groups and just feel like I don't know what this person's talking about and you know they're really sweet but we're just not connecting right and and stepping away from that in a respectful way and not trying not to let it like discourage you is what has helped me.
1: I asked Umitesi to share with us her area of professional practice. I really
0: focus heavily on multicultural counseling and kind of this wellness model where it's about building confidence that you can recover, right? Or heal from something because I have found in my work that <clears throat> people who struggle to feel confident that they could recover from life's, you know, things that it throws at us, they actually end up being like more fearful and more isolated in general, because, you know, you're not likely to take these risks of meeting a new friend or meeting a new person or going on a date or trying a new hobby or a job if you don't believe you could recover if it, you know fell flat somehow so lately i've really just been trying to <clears throat> get a sense of how that person or that client feels about their ability to you know recover if things were to get very bad or difficult and then go from there so it's very wellness oriented and extremely culture oriented as well and so I do work freelance. I use a platform called It's Complicated to share my profile. And I have like my own link that has my profile there. And so clients can reach out to me that way. And I do a hybrid these days of some days in the week, I'm working online. And then some days I'm in the, in the office in person. And a lot of people who are also online, some of them are in Berlin, but Berlin is quite big. So some people, it just works better for their schedule to do it online. And others are in other parts of Germany, so like Stuttgart or Munich or Frankfurt. And so they have even less options oftentimes, especially for Black counselors and providers. And they just really need even more because those are also major cities, but it doesn't have that advantage of being an international hub that Berlin is. And even with that, Berlin is not, especially for the black community, I'll say Berlin is not Paris, like Berlin is not London. The community here is really amazing and close and like very tight knit because of the fact that we just also have less numbers here. And that's just kind of a fact of of the city. So I would say for that reason, also, a lot of my clients are black people. A lot of my clients are people who have some background within the diaspora, maybe also with Germany, the US, Canada, and just in general, non-white or non-German, if they are white. So it's definitely something where culture gets brought in. Quite early in, in the sessions that I do. And I just try to gauge how relevant it is for that person. They might say, oh, well, it's not about culture and, and you know, it's not the pressing thing and that's okay. But I'd rather know that than just ignore culture altogether when we're working.
1: I asked Umwatesi to share with all of us some tips on how to maintain mental health
0: abroad. That is so, so important. Especially when you're making a decision where you might actually just, well, or maybe surely be without the things that are comforts, the things that are familiar, the people that are right there just to kind of help you get through those hard days. And I would say the same prep you do for the flight or accommodation or getting your money currency switched, whatever, all those things you also have to prep actively for what you're going to replace those things with so it's kind of like you know when you go on a plane and you know it's obviously going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to be able to like lay it's not a bed right so you bring a little neck cushy thing or you bring fuzzy socks or you bring something that's going to bring you a little relief sort of to balance that out and so that's kind of how I approach it with mental health too if you you know you're not going to have a friend group immediately there you have to be active and say i'm gonna plan <clears throat> like recurring zoom whatever get togethers with my friends from back home for the first like few months maybe and ask them to hold you accountable too and just say hey I'm, i know i'm going to be there i don't know how busy i'll be or not but i know it's going to be without you so let me in like in advance put that there so that you have somewhere to land rather than just hoping for the best because that doesn't always work. And that can be like for also hobbies you won't access. Especially I find a lot of people who live like with the weather too. If you're from a place that's very close to nature or good air or sunny and then you go somewhere where you just can't access those things, you need an alternative, right? You're going to have to... Plan to go to the sauna or something or plan to get the, this light that like mimics the sun. You know, you know, those kind of lights that kind of, it's some special light in the room that kind of makes it feel like the sun is setting and, and going up and down. People use it when they have like seasonal depression. And so you just have to really plan for it. Cause once you're already in that funk, you're not going to have the energy to then suddenly enact all these changes. So I think that helps a lot just to do it in advance. The same way you would say, I'm going to look up the closest restaurants to here because I know when I get there, I'm going to be hungry, right? Like So viewing it the same way as that is my biggest tip. So for now, I would say it's unfortunately limited to Germany so like I said a lot of my online people are in other cities in Germany if the like in the future if the permanent residency thing would really work out then I think it could be EU wide because then you can kind of bounce around and work throughout the EU so for now it's it's Germany but I do also have a good network of other people that could be practicing in other cities in the EU you know what I mean like and then just knowing, oh, there's a, a black therapist here that's working here and then connecting. So I'm so open to also just people saying, hey, I want to tap into that grapevine. Do you know someone, you know, if they're not located in, in Germany?
1: Wellness. I asked umutasi what is her personal definition of wellness and how has that definition and concept and practice evolved by living abroad so for me
0: wellness is patience it's trust in yourself and also just giving yourself grace because unfortunately the world doesn't always give us patience or you know grace or all these things so just knowing that you can give it to yourself to me is a good place to to found your wellness on and and so that looks like it can look like all kinds of things because month to month is very different, but definitely making choices that adjust to where you're at, trusting that you won't, you know, overexert yourself or run into something that you don't have the capacity for or run away from something that you do have the capacity for, but you're kind of fearful, right? So I think it goes both ways. It's not just the over involved, but also if you're kind of isolating. So yeah, for me, it's definitely trusting relationship with yourself and being patient with the not so easy to understand
1: parts of ourselves that that come up every once in a while. Thank you so much, Umutesi, for sharing your amazing story and for giving us some amazing tips to stay mentally well abroad. If you want to keep up with Umutesi, you can online. I've got my link from
0: It's Complicated for Professional Stuff, all professional inquiries. Also, I like to
1: use my email. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And for more information about our guest, be sure to check out this episode's show notes on the website, Flourish Foreign. Dot com. That's where you'll see pictures, a full bio, and ways that you can connect with this guest. And as always, big thanks to Zachary Higgs for producing the music of this podcast. Remember, it's not about moving abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So... Go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time.